Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to a playoff episode. Finally, playoffs. We are we are finally here. And I don't know, just to discuss and and jump into all things postseason. I could think of no one better this week than to have on and uh, the the man himself, future author of a best selling book from the Athletic, Seth Partnow. Uh fingers toes tongues eyebrows eyes whatever else we got crossed about the best-selling part beards we can cross beard beards, beards yeah, yeah. <laughs> it maybe braid it yeah right yeah yeah how you doing 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 pretty well um suddenly having you know finished the, the bulk of the you know there's still minor edits here and there when i get it back from the publisher but having finished the bulk of it i suddenly have a lot of time on my hands mm. and just in time because now there's seemingly 14 hours of basketball on TV a day. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, though, I mean, the the playoffs have been, uh, the playoffs have delivered this year. There's no question so far through, you know, 2.375 games. <laughs> here's here's my question, because I feel like the first, the first round, but really the first week of the playoffs always has a different rhythm. You know, March Madness has a rhythm. The World Cup has a rhythm. But the NBA playoffs are different once you get to, like, the brass tacks, conference finals. The first round just has a different feel. H- have you watched, like, every game so far? Are you just wire to wire? Or are some series catching your eye more than others? Um, obviously, the, the only hard parts have been when there's been during the week when there's been three games and there's been some overlap. But beyond that, uh, I've um, there's been occasions where uh, it's been catching up the, the morning after. That's uh, a sign of growing old that there have been third quarters in which I have fallen asleep um, and through no fault of the basketball it's because I'm old um, so but no I think I've I've caught the majority of most of the games probably the one exception is game two Philly and Washington is are they only through two games in that series is that right yeah okay game, I saw, the, I saw game that three game. Saturday yeah, uh, I think. Yeah. Okay. I actually saw that game. I missed a bunch of game one, but otherwise I've been, I've been in the flow and some nights they, they, the two games they have going on at the same time are really good. And so I'm just double screening and, and doing my best I can. Um, I can't do that. I've, I've tried before and I just, I, I, you know, I, I have problem enough like double screening with my phone and Twitter. So two get basketball games is too much. Yeah, the pause button is the key. If the pause one and watch the plays in the other, uh, what what jumps out to you so far? What's like? What's the big takeaway? Is it is it Luca? Is it uh, is it Milwaukee? Is it the the L A teams? What, what's caught your eye? So my biggest takeaway is we need to have there to be less games in the regular season, and and that's sort of a, and and here's how I get there is that something I've been watching for years, and I think we've talked about this before, but the divergence between the playoff basketball and regular season basketball has just gotten 
even this year, it's just noticeably like last year was weird. The bubble, everything and the playoff games actually were kind of like bubble games, but the bubble games were kind of like playoff games for some teams. Yeah. So but this year, just like the stark season is over. Here's the plane. The plane games were like game seven. So we were in it right away. And but just the difference in the level of everything about them is just so visibly higher. It, and the the, the 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 cutoff between okay, that guy is no good anymore <laughs> is like, you know. That that's actually one of my biggest thoughts when so I do my sub all star podcast and I have to like basically scout players who might be the eighty second best best player in basketball. And more than ever, I feel like those um, upper middle class players in the league. The thing all I can think about is like, okay, what happens in the playoffs now? Because in the old days when we were growing up, the NBA on NBC days, it was like the intensity went up. That was kind of the biggest thing, right? The the intensity on defense um, was a little bit higher, and, and that was like your major change going into the playoffs. And now it's intensity, it's scheme, it's um, lineups, right? Like, like to your point, it's just, no, we're not playing that guy anymore. That doesn't work. So the sort of things on the margins, the low-hanging fruit, they're all trying to be taken off the court as quickly as possible. And then you're left with, like, everybody for me in the middle class in the NBA. I'm going, so does he stand out in a series as, like, a really good third or fourth player? Or does he go to the bench and we don't hear from him for the rest of the series? I mean, some of that is also just guys, it, when a guy is in too high a spot, it's like you get away with that in the season. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, he'd be a fine fifth guy as a second guy. He's terrible you know, right. in a playoff yeah. setting. Um, and I think, you know, we might, you know, with some of the Phoenix guys having to bump up a spot with with Chris Paul being, you know, limited. I think you, you, we are seeing that maybe some of their other guys aren't quite ready yet. Um, and that's and that's not totally fair because it's even with Paul on the floor, um, it's it the like the the way LA is playing defense is so no we know he can't shoot and it's just it's, it's mucking everything up so that's maybe slightly unfair um, but you are starting to see some of those things where uh, you know a, a guy might just not quite be ready to hit that spot yet that level or they with Phoenix I feel like Aiton for me is going the other way. Where I'm like, yeah, yes, yeah, right. Yes. I'm like watching every quarter of this series unfold, and every time I see eight, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes, that is what I want to see you do. Has he shot a jump shot all series? Um, I haven't watched every second, but in the two and a quarter or half games, I, I'm sure he has taken at least one, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. There was there was one play he made where he he kind of he was driving on Drummond and he made this like ridiculous like up and under offhand layup and that was still one it's my my one of my big frustrations with him is like it's a great shot he made it just get fouled just get yeah. don't make yourself have to make that shot go just go into him and get fouled when you when you get a shoulder by him yeah and hopefully that comes because his engagement and physicality on defense against the giant Lakers team has probably been the biggest thing that stands out as well as kind of his discipline on offense. And it's just like, yeah, make, keep making life easier for you as competition gets better. That's a secret to what a lot of players do, you know, in the big time in the postseason. So someone, the interesting thing about that is someone like, and I forget who would texted me or messaged me. Um, 
uh, earlier today, actually, was talking about the really interesting thing about that series is if you swapped Aiton and Drummond, the series would be like a shutout. Like it would be it would be, you know, the Lakers would be winning by, you know, 40 points every game. Um, and I thought that was that was a really interesting way to put it. And like Drummond's been okay, but Aiton has just been like, oh, that's why he's the number one pick. Okay, it's like okay, you're still going to be sad you didn't take Luca, but it's like you were sad you took Hakeem and not. I mean, that's maybe that's a, that's a little too far, but <laughs> but you know, you you got you got a good you got a good player who is trending in the right direction. Yeah, you feel better than you do if you drafted Marvin Bagley. No, but no, I do think Drummond is like the perfect example of what I was talking about, where for years. You know, he, between his rebounding numbers and some of his shot blocking, he has a contingent of people who think he's very good, right? And then, of course, um, people can't see you. You're, you. You had a little chuckle when I said that. But, like, uh, of course, there's other stuff that suggests he's not very good. And the question Shout is... Shout out to Sopin Deb, who thinks he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Sopin's a friend of the show. Um, and it's like, it's like... Okay, so he has some things that he does well, but back to our point about the regular season versus the playoffs, what does what does that actually look like in the postseason? And then more importantly, how do those warts get exposed? And as much as I was digging Aiton, especially in last night's game, I'm looking at Drummond and I'm like, man, I don't know how many minutes like I would be playing Andre Drummond in high-level playoff games. And And of course, in a way, that's the ultimate indictment right now in the NBA. I do wonder how much of that is Drummond himself and how much of having that, that brick in the game, how it, how it affects Anthony Davis, you know? So it's, it is situational. Just yeah, that's a I good think, point. I think you can make a, you could make a decent argument that Drummond is probably a, like, uh, uh, you know, context agnostic, a better basketball player than Marc Gasol right now. I don't think you can make a better basketball player than Andre Drummond makes the Lakers better than Marcus Hall does right now. And so I, so it is, it is a little bit situational unfair. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a totally fair point. Um, and again, especially like over the course of the regular season, would you rather have Drummond logging minutes on the average team or Gasol these days? Probably Drummond, but, uh, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be overly critical of Drummond here. I actually have thought he's, fairly decent for the last couple of years and his passing has improved and things like that. But you just get in these situations in the playoffs, right? And it's, you're just like, wait a second, Andre Drummond kind of has a bunch of things that are problematic for LA. And maybe some of that is playing next to Anthony Davis and getting Davis over to five and getting him more comfortable. But um, yeah, I mean, this is the regular season playoff divide that we're seeing now. And so that's that, and that's why I think I think the divide is, and this year it was exacerbated because of the, because of the everything, <laughs> but, but it is like if there were fewer games for any number of reasons, I don't think it would the, the divergence would be as stark, and this is just I mean this is just frankly better basketball than you get even you get the like the occasional not the I mean reasonably frequent. High level game between two good teams, and you know you you if you're on league pass, there's going to be a couple good games every night, but just like game to game intensity, strategic interest, like the playoffs just have blown the notion that every team plays the same out of the water. You cannot watch these teams and say they play like them because everyone's doing things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to talk about the Clippers and the Mavs? 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so this is a tough one because, like, like uh, the uh, the technical term, and you and I don't know if you bleep or whatever, but the technical ter- term is Dallas is shooting the shit out of the ball. Yes, they are shooting fifty percent from three. As yeah. of recording this, of course, game three is is tonight. Um, what's funny is they're thirty five of seventy from downtown, and they're only shooting sixty six percent. They're thirty three of fifty from the free throw line. <laughs> so wow. they're they're three point shooting and they're free throw shooting. It's like the Bruce Bowen of an entire team. Yeah. So, but wow. Bruce Bowen and Luka Doncic. Okay, that's a comparison that will make never again. Never before, never again. No, the rest of the uh, but, team around him, not yeah, Luka. Yeah. 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 Um so uh sorry. I lost I lost my job. Oh, so they they uh they're shooting so well. So you don't know how much to take from this series is just that versus how much is what are you doing Clippers. But I do think that the Clippers are because they're getting everything they need from Kawhi and Paul George, and but it's everyone else is just not there, and it's defensively and offensively, and you you, you do worry that they have a bunch of guys with names who are, you know, we talked about a guy being not playoff quality, and who's been the Clippers' third best player this series through two games? I think you can make a strong argument for Terrence Mann. And how much has he played? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I I don't know who, I don't know who I would make the case for as their third best player right now. Um, additionally, a guy I thought would help Ibaka, his his back just doesn't look yeah. right, and I think that's really left them uh, kind of shorthanded, especially against the the Luca pick and roll attack. Combined with this, and I know you guys talked about this on your show yesterday, Nerder, she wrote, like, the soft switching that the Clippers are doing. Um, I mean, yeah, g- good luck with that. I, I, <laughs> they, they just give up the switch whenever it seems to be there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You guys had, rant away, if you will, at that. But I think it's the combination of not having Ibaka and... You know, Zubac is your only other option, and then you go small. But when you go small, they just soft switch, and um, he can target the player. It's like the whole thing isn't really working, and that's why, along with the hot shooting, that's why Dallas has a 130 offensive rating in two games. Yeah, I, I, and I think actually the, the comparison, and it's, it, it's funny because there's, there's just no way around it, is the Clippers have kind of done the same thing where they're they're just kind of – Letting Luca play at his pace and do his thing, and and uh, and and so he's 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 picking them apart, and yeah, everyone's making shots, but they're they're open shots because Luca's playing in a rhythm. Through a game and a half, the Knicks were doing the same thing with Trey Young, and then the second half, they put some size on him. They started you know blitzing, they started showing, they started not letting him use ball screens, and it was it was it was effective. Um, you know those the, it's. Again, it's 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 impossible not to you know compare those two, even <laughs> and, and it will be forever forever more. Um, but I, I think that's instructive. Like the the Clippers keep throwing these like soft traps with a slow guy and a small guy, and that just doesn't work because Luca just sees over the top of it, or he doesn't get sped up and can do his thing. Whereas again, the 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 Lakers, uh, uh, not the Lakers, the the Knicks switched something up and, and made it harder for Trey in the second half. I, I think it is harder to do that to Luca though, and I wonder 
in going over the film, that's that's one series I have uh, rewatched both both games in detail. They didn't actually trap them that many times, and of course, every time they trapped him, it was a disaster. And the backside defense could be a little better on the trap, but the big issue with Luca is he's giant, and so one he sees that it's different than the Curry trap dynamic where Curry's small and the size can bother him or Lillard or even Trey Young. And then you need a decent pass to the outlet valve. And then you need your outlet valve in the case of Curry to be Draymond to kind of get your, I think you called it a a half court fast break to get it going from the foul line or the top of the key or wherever with, with the Mavs, Luca just is patient. He, he, you're not going to, you're not going to hound him when he has the ball because he just turns his back like magic used to. And the trap comes and Dallas is spacing. They always have two guys wide and they flash one guy to the middle of the floor. And then it's just like you totally pick them apart. So as I'm watching this, I'm wondering, are they catching themselves in no man's land where they're like, well, we don't really want to blitz them and all out go for this, but we'll do it occasionally, but we'll do it slowly. We'll kind of like soft trap them and see what happens. And it's like a dunk every time. I, I, I don't know. It's yeah. Well, no, and it's, it's and it, again, it's because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's Zubach is coming up to, to, and he's doesn't want to come all the way up because he's worried about getting blown by, which shouldn't because if I'm them like, okay, if Luca's going to go to the basket and finish 25 times a game, that's better than him, you know, being Peyton Manning. Um, and the other guy is like Pat Beverly who can just, just has, has no, no role in this series. It seems like, because he can't, he like, there's not even a, uh, maybe if Jalen Brunson is kind of doing some things in the second unit, then Patrick Beverly kind of has, has some, some utility, but as a guy to, pesk to be a, a like a a pest on on luca no luca's like no. oh come okay foul me whatever i'm just gonna i'm gonna shoot free throws because you're because you, you hack in the bonus and then i'm and or if you don't do that then i'm just i can see over the top and i'm gonna ping this pass to the backside corner and then it's an open three again and my guys haven't missed a three all game so and and that so that's in part why like you know there there's been those those rare moments when there has been Terrence Mann out there and he's and he's not you know he's not as big as Luca but he's bigger and he can actually like you know have that pass be in the air a little bit longer like make force Luca a little further out on the floor so that's you know i i want to see more of that but it just doesn't seem like doesn't seem like like you said, it doesn't seem like the Clippers made a choice about a plan going into the series. Yeah, the offense uh, has been fine in my eyes, and their numbers are really good. Uh, I think their their efficiency is over 120. And uh, and both Kawhi and Paul George have had their moments. I mean, Kawhi had a huge game. The, the last game was so weird because uh, I think it was the NBA TV game, and I didn't know it had started. And I looked at the box score at halftime and Kawhi had 30. And I'm like, oh, my God, Kawhi has 30 in the first half. And I haven't heard a peep about this because it's on NBA TV. So I went over and I watched the first half and I didn't even notice Kawhi had 30. I'm like, oh, my God, Luka Doncic is just carving up. He's just dominating this entire game. No, and it's and it's because Luka is he's scoring and also he's letting everyone else score. And um, he showed he showed more of it last year, actually, especially before uh, Paul George came back. But like, but Kawhi is not having that same kind of playmaking playmaking impact, and that seems like you know, you know, he's he's getting his thirty, thirty five, forty very efficiently. But that's all. There's no there's right. no boat rising going on there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I even with all that said, uh, 
I think the Clippers offense will probably continue to be fine. I think the interesting part of this series, and I'm not even sure how much home court matters in this series, although we'll see Dallas is going to have a legit crowd, which is pretty cool. Uh, Cause I do think that mattered in Madison square garden in game two, like that probably the Knicks probably don't have the same push without a crowd there in a bubble game or something like that. So we'll see how much that matters, but it, I think it's, it's LA's, defensive adjustments combined with we can't assume the Mavs are going to stay at 50% for the whole series and does that kind of give you a bunch of competitive games or an easy win that you can take away and and come back and win four out of five man maybe I mean we've seen weirder things so you never like you never want to say but some things are gonna have to change pretty drastically and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's lineup. I don't know if it's Dallas just going through a prolonged shooting slump. Maybe it's just like the, some guys on the Clippers playing better. But through two games, it does not like if you don't knew nothing about these teams, you'd say, "Man, the Mavericks are just much better." Yeah, um, we we've touched on offensive rating a bunch on this series, and it's something I've been harping on for a while. The the league wide offensive rating trending up by month. The last month of the season, it was over 114, and I, I'm I'm my big question has been like, what happens in the playoffs? And right now, we're still over one, we're 115 or 114 and a half or something like that. Uh, do you you usually with your with your little data insights and and things you'll write about at the Athletic? Do you have any you know more granular trends or insights that make you think? Yeah, Ben, the, the playoffs in 2021 are like a 115 average offensive environment or, um, you know, will we actually see some some defense kind of win the day as the as the rounds progress? What do you think about this? Um, it's so it's it's not been it's not been the shooting like the three point shooting is down in the playoffs and regular season teams. Are, and this is even comparing like playoff teams to themselves in the regular season. So like unsurprisingly, like the league shot like 36, five or something like that on three overall. And the playoff teams like combined for like 37, eight. So it, because obviously you drop the bottom 14 teams and, and you, you're left with better teams. Um, so, but that's, that's down. Um, I haven't looked at it today through two days or somewhere around like 35. I want to say through two games is somewhere around 35. Um, what's really like what's driving the increase right now is offensive rebounding and turnovers. Turnovers are down. Offensive rebounding is, is up about three points. Um, some of that I think speaks to the style of play. Like we are seeing like you, we always do more isolation play and isolation play tends to be lower turnover. And then, uh, perhaps because it's a little slower or, or just because teams are so aware of those like physical mismatches, the offensive rebounding. And I think offensive rebounding has been a notable feature in some of the games. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's, you know, talking about teams having plans, it does seem that some teams or at least some players are making a very targeted effort to hit the glass on certain actions, uh, which I, I, have said for years is probably a market inefficiency that can be improved. We've talked about this before. There are yeah. contextual spots to get at that. And it's like, yeah, you watch some of these games and teams are getting third, fourth chances. I mean, the Nuggets, it was off a free throw, but, you know, Jokic ended the Nuggets game last night with an offensive rebound and a tip in to ice it. Yeah. And, and I mean, 
the 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 name that pops in my head actually is Jonas Valanciunas. Is sort of the the um probably more with perhaps more in the plans, but also in in that series, especially when uh, when Gobert is not in the game. Um, so that's you know we were talking about Drummond earlier, and it's just like we're seeing that style of player can work because Valanciunas has been really good and really effective. Um, and, and, but, and he plays pretty similarly to Drummond. He's just kind of at this point better and he's enough better that, that he's a guy that is, that is an important, an important, useful kind of frontline playoff player. Yeah. I, I haven't, that's one of the series I haven't seen, um, a huge amount of it, but going back through the play in games and into this series, uh, he's just, he, he, has just been steady for them all season. Uh, really for a while and and to your point um, he's got more skill and I like we're, we're we've talked about Drummond we talked about JV uh, Anthony Davis has a little bit of this Jokic has a little bit of this I like guys maybe Nurkic although Nurkic has got to play Jokic guys using their body and actually having a physical presence like if you switch on somebody who's a giant I it's been a frustration of mine for years that teams don't take advantage of that like you should not be able to just preaching to the choir switch onto Joel Embiid with a 6-5 guy and the best you can do is a catch 18 feet away like we and this translates to offensive rebounding as well so um I've got a name that I think is going to this concept is going to be very important for in about a week when we start the second round I'm just I'm, I'm presuming certain things about the first round but when it's Brooklyn and Milwaukee and pick a name is guarding Brooke Lopez. Is he standing in the corner or is he ducking in? Is he in the dunker spot? It, what are what are they? How are they handling that? Um, he is, they've, they've seemingly made more of an effort. Certainly in game one, it was a big feature of game one was him getting in, into the lane on offense and, and, you know, being big, just being, you know, he, he did it. He's done it some the last couple of games, not quite as effectively like like it matters <laughs> what kind of effectiveness the Bucks have had any individual buck has had. They've been just that much better. But against Brooklyn, because Brooklyn's going to want to play small. If Bruce Brown is guarding Brooke Lopez, what does Milwaukee do offensively? Right. Yeah. Um, hopefully throw the ball deep into <laughs> Brooke Lopez. Right. And I feel the same way about Giannis. Like, he's he's such a physical specimen in terms of his strength combination of strength and ability to move into space and it's like jay crowder and i think you know you're i'm preaching to the choir again but it's good that Giannis is carving up jay crowder even though he's struggling in this series to shoot and all that stuff but like no, he's not carving up Jay Crowder. He's carving up not Jay Crowder, Trevor Ariza. Yeah, sorry, Trevor Ariza. I'm on the wrong team. <laughs> yeah. um, Jay Crowder's the, with Anthony Davis. I got, I'm getting my Jay Crowder seasons mixed up in my head. Uh, but it's just conceptually, right? It's like that idea. You, you, These guys used to be small forwards for a reason. And functionally today, yes, it's great that you can get these double forwards and switch them and all this stuff. But when you have a guy like that on the other side, he should be able to take advantage of that. Right. And again, just this is to, to, to beat a dead horse. Like there's a reason why you don't do that in the regular season, because you, you have to do it 82 times. And that's that's why it's a lot. If it's a if it's a 50 game season, do you do that more? 
I think you do. Um, so, and if there's a way to, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't think either of us are like, because that's how it's always been kind of guys, it's fair to say. So I'm all about like trying to figure out like another, a, a parallel competition in the season to, to, to kind of goose parts of the season that are sort of meh right now. Yeah. Some people don't like that idea. I, I think it has merit and would be interesting, uh, for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons is the huge difference between playoff basketball and regular season basketball. And it's like, you know, you and I may watch it a lot, um, both because we like it or for professional reasons on a Tuesday night in January, but the, the players and the coaches and the grind of the season, you're not going to see that same dynamic that we're talking about here. You're not going to see with regularity, Anthony Davis just constant like Anthony Davis is clear to me needs to work himself up into a psychological state where he's like I am bigger than everyone and will crush people and when he gets there you can see it and I actually don't even think he looks very good physically he's just look he's bigger than everyone and he gets the ball near the hoop and he puts the ball in the hoop and that's it no and it's part of that it's not just like I'm bigger than everyone it's like I'm gonna go in here and get hit 30 times tonight, but that's okay because I'm going to shoot for 16 free throws. Yep. And I don't blame a guy first. Like, it, again, you know, the, the 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 soccer cliche is could he do it on a cold Tuesday night in, night in Stoke, right? Could I, could I, do I want to go to the line 16 times at a random, you know, February weeknight game in Sacramento? No. Like, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're better, so we're going to win by 15 anyway, so... Andre Drummond, you go in there. Like, I like that's or Montrez Harrell if it's before right, the buyout right. season. Like yeah. you, like I again, you because of 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 that, you can't really blame the, the going with the sort of the the combination of the maintenance approach, and also because of the games coming so fast, the the sort of uh, the game theory optimal approach. Like I don't really care what who we're playing tonight. We're going to play the way that does best against twenty nine teams. Yeah, and the playoffs, yeah. it's, we're doing best against one team. And those things tend to diverge quite, quite largely. Yeah, and, and if you look at the entire picture, it's not just optimizing over twenty nine games where you have to travel and play four and five nights and things like that. It's the fact that strategically, why would I need to burn stuff or show my hand a ton when I get to the playoffs? It's going to be like I want things that I can tap into that other people haven't been able to scout as well. Oh, I think that's not just it's not just wanting to burn things. You just can't like if you just don't you don't practice. You don't have you can you can talk about all these things you want to do, but it's better to have everyone doing the thing that's the 80 percent solution, doing it well and together than two guys. Oh, yeah, that's a great that's a great concept. They'll do that. Two guys executing it well, two guys executing it. okay, and one guy just lost. Which is the kind of thing that if you try to make all these adjustments on the fly when you're playing your third game in four nights or whatever, like, yeah, that's going to happen because you don't remember like, OK, yeah, this guy loves to reject screens. And because, uh, you know, it's, it's wait, was that him or was that the guy right, who played right, tomorrow right. night? Yeah. Or, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this also plugs into my um, next season theory. I just made that up. I'm calling it the next season theory. It's a terrible name when you hear what I'm talking about. It's the idea that. As you adapt to something during the season, there's typically only so far you can get. But when you come back the next season, then, and I think you see this with stuff like Curry, you know, after his 2016 season, there were some league-wide changes 
that everyone kind of figured out like, okay, these are the rules with this guy. Like now we know the rules. Um, you were talking about this with Miami a little bit and we don't have to get too much into Miami because, you know, they played above their head last year. Maybe they're um, underperforming right now. That's not important. I think what is relevant is teams have a much better response and reaction to their movement and specifically like, oh yeah, Duncan Robinson, we're going to give him these rules. We have rules on how we're going to handle his screening action. And that's going to make it a little harder when all the players on the court now have had time to kind of soak that in. And now you're in a playoff series against Duncan Robinson. And for Milwaukee, it's the second year in a row. And you're like, ah, okay, we know how to handle this. What do you got? Yeah, I think I think that's right. And it's in, in, in his case, it's also it's exacerbated by them having their sort of creation ability. Like their three top creators are just all materially worse than they were in the playoffs last yep. year or not materially worse, but are not at that level. And some like, you know, I think Jimmy and Bam are just not playing as well. And, and Dragic is probably just not there physically anymore. Like, you know, he, he kind of that the, it feels like almost the bubble was a little bit of a last hurrah as that level of guy for him. Um, so but that happens. I mean, guys play better. Guys play worse. You know, uh, teams have sort of like figured out that, hey, if we try to make Bam a score, that's uh, advantage us, especially if, if we're trying to make him a score when we have a guy who's bigger than him. Um, like that was that was a real key to them beating Boston last year is him just deciding I'm just going to run Daniel Tice over. He can't do that to Brooke Lopez. Yeah, that no, that moment, and I, I feel like it was later in the series, but uh, to your point, it should have been earlier in the series. There was that moment where he just caught it at the top and took two dribbles and just yoked it right on Tice, and everyone was kind of like, oh, you can do that to him like whenever you want because you're a different level of athlete. Um, yeah, no, it's a good point. And, and I like Daniel Tice, but yeah, that was that was like, oh well, no, that's that that's that's this series over, maybe. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think I, I, but I think to your like to your point, it's also it's it's they have figured things out about him, and also the the sort of random open shots he might get because of those other things, right? So it's it's almost he, he's getting squeezed from both directions, almost. And you know, I was actually I. Uh, so someone asked me this morning, like about his, he's a free agent this summer. And it's like, man, the, a sweep might be the best outcome for him just to get it over with quickly. And, and, and so people don't have to, don't have to see him getting like cooked every time he, Chris Middleton ISOs on him or something like that, just to get that out of sight and out of mind quickly. So I, I do want to come back to the Milwaukee Brooklyn uh, death match. Cause it's, it's looming in my mind as well. But this Dragic conversation is reminding me of one of my big bubble questions, which was it's, really like the only time ever we've had a huge amount of time off for players specifically veterans like Dragic like LeBron James and then they knew hey now we have a concentrated like there's no build-up there's no marathon it's just you get all this time off and when you come back and the Lakers especially they they use those eight games as like practice sessions it looked like um, then we're going to go for the postseason we don't have that this year and when I look at some of these guys they look just the word is older uh lebron himself you know coming off an ankle injury i'm not sure he now physically i thought in in game three uh he started to look a little bit better but i don't know at this point if he's going to be able to physically ramp up to where we expect him he's going to have to rely on more guile and skill and all the other things that that drives him 
Um, it's obviously dangerous to question LeBron, but he's 36 and a half years old. And, you know, I, I don't know. You have thoughts on that? Yeah. No, we, we talked on this on, on Nerder, uh, I guess, today. Um, yesterday, today, whenever. The time has no meaning. It's a flat circle. Um, <laughs> no, but, but, but we're, I mean, we're basically, their offense is, is sort of going to be, imagine the 2015 or the, the 2015 Cavs, but just with Anthony Davis. Is sort of how they're like they're going to play in in the later rounds. It's like they're going to guard the hell out of you, and then you know LeBron is going to you know bully people and and just enough to get just just enough open shots, and then also AD. So that's that's the way they're. It's not it's not particularly elegant, but it yeah, but it's uh, it has a pretty decent chance of being effective. And you know they're they've already caught really they've already caught three pretty big breaks. I kind of feel like. Um, which is, you know, the Murray injury. Uh, I was, I would have picked Denver to win the title going into the playoffs had that not happened. Mm, ooh, um, ooh. Um, they, I mean, they're just like that. That that ten days after they traded for Eric Gordon was one of the best teams that I can remember. Yeah. They were so good for that. Yeah. Um, it, it was basically like you know we, uh, they, their offense looked like a hockey power play. Um. But that that's not a hero there. Then then obviously Chris Paul getting a pretty freaky shoulder injury like early in this series, which I think it's it's a little unfair to Phoenix, but kind of makes this series a bit of a walkover for them. What would have been a tricky series, I think, because um, I think Phoenix was more ready for the playoffs than a lot of young teams seem to be. I mean Booker and 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 Aiton certainly didn't look overawed in Game One, um, and then and then obviously like the Clippers clippering. <laughs> is 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 you know that's 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 you know those those were those were teams that they would have been worried about matchups against so that's that's you know and that's not to say to devalue anything because um even the absence of bad luck is good luck in the playoffs and every team that's ever won a title has had good luck sure, so yeah but like you do have to say that hey, that's a, it's a, a couple nice breaks for uh for the Lakers, you know, they got they had their injuries early enough and not quite as severe enough so that their guys maybe were a little rested. Um, so, yeah, LeBron might not be all the way there from an ankle standpoint, but the rest of his body is probably better than than it would be had he kind of tried to grind through the whole season. Yeah. And I think all of that is another way to say they don't have a huge margin of error if you were to consider them the favorites or one of those like top tier title contenders, which I think is fair, but the way they're going to go about and win this having breaks like that helps quite a bit. Like maybe they still get through the suns, but um, that injury not only makes it easier for them to win the series, but maybe provides a little less resistance. So, you know, it's, it's always tough to have to go through like an absolute dogfight in the first round and then turn around and play a team that's rested and, and waiting for you and really good. And in this case, assuming the Nuggets who are now up two one, assuming they're the team that goes through, not only do they not have Jamal Murray, but I mean, little known fact, Seth, they are, they offered me a backcourt position uh, a couple weeks ago when they ran out of guards. That's how bad things are there. They did, but then they picked Austin Rivers over you, which was a good choice. Yes. Yeah, well, apparently, yes. that, apparently that that has worked out. Good choice because I could yeah. shoot like that twenty years ago, but I, I, yeah, I mean, Austin Rivers has me crushed as a defender right now. <laughs> that's a that's a statement. <laughs> I know it is. I can't guard. Uh, but, I can't you know, so guard a phone booth. So there, there's so there's an interesting thing that's that's happened in in that series too. I, you know, it's 
you don't want to do like moments, but I sort of feel like the one of the biggest little stretches of this series was at the end of of the first half of game two, when they when when Denver put Shaq Harrison on on Lillard just for a couple possessions. He was he was like absolutely incandescent, and then they put like a guy who just like oh what. Wow, I didn't know Monty Morris could get. Oh no, that's not Monty Morris. That's 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 Shaq Harrison. Uh, just could get into him, and then like Denver ripped off an 8-0 run to, to 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 end the half, and they kind of raided their raided their ship a little bit, and now they seem to have gotten their their legs under them almost in the series, and just like little things like that. So it's not even a guy who has to be a um, you know an every down back, so to speak just ripping off other sport comparisons. We're on a roll today. Can we get cricket in the show today? We've done hockey. We've done uh, soccer. Yawker. It was a, uh, it was a wicked googly. <laughs> yes. Um, later we'll do ILI. So the Nuggets still through three games in this series, 126 offensive rating. I'm convinced you could put Jokic out there uh, with like four high schoolers and then they would do pretty well. But the interesting thing, and I figured you might have some insight into this. The interesting thing is Jokic is passing and his playmaking is down. I think strategically, that's what Portland's trying to do. And you look at the assist numbers and it's three, I think like 3.7 per game through three games of this series. And some of the Denver guards actually have better assist numbers, I think is probably a function of that scheme. And it's like, no, it still really doesn't matter. Like Jokic is scoring like 38 points a game on 69% true shooting and the machine still goes the same way. Yeah, I think this was something that it 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 Utah actually did the same thing in the first round last year and it took kind of a game or two of that for him to be like, "Oh, I I I guess it's okay if I score every right. time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then now he's like I can score every time. It's just, it's just like that. Like that. It seems like he took that in, and all year he was like, "I can like it, it. Like, hey, buckets are fun. Like, I'm not being selfish. I'm, I'm, I'm. You know. So I think that that that's maybe not something that works against him anymore because he's sort of he's grown out of that. I don't know if it's deferential or egalitarian or what have you instinct. Well, I think it was game three. The, the games are starting to blur together sometimes when I like go back and rewatch a different game from a series. But I think it was game three where Portland started well at like 9-2 or 9-4 or something. And Jokic was just like, oh, I'm just going to shoot a couple threes. And he just like ran down the court and banged in back-to-back threes. And then another nugget got a layup on a turn. And then all of a sudden it was like the nuggets were way ahead. You know, it's just... I don't. I still don't know what to make of his season, other than already putting it in among the all-time great offensive seasons. But when you like watch him just go, oh, I'm just gonna run down and bang in a couple threes. It's 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 not like no one does. Like who is doing this? And then all the other well, stuff no, that he does. No, no. What? No, no. This is this is like the thing is this is what like the the MVP level guards and wings have always done right yeah it's just this is this is a center who's now doing that who's not just coming yeah oh, i'm going to just like come down and like oh th- that's me like and you and we so we haven't seen that before but like you know we've seen from you know pick a guy from Larry Bird on like that's kind of how MVPs yeah do so i mean and it's it's interesting cuz um this will be the first time I forget the stats off my head, but like before Bird won MVP for the first time, 
it had been like 75 or 80 percent of MVPs had been centers. And since Bird won the first time, it's completely flipped and only a few centers have won. And this year, a center is going to win because he's played like those wings. So yeah. I just think that's a, that's a nice that's – a, that's a neat little, little, little turnabout there. Yeah, and then what does that mean for the future going forward? That's... I mean, it's he's you know he's one of one, so it's it's sort of hard to. I guess the thing it means mostly is that is that it's finally come to the point in the NBA where they are taking the best players as they are and not trying to. Oh, Kevin Garnett! You like imagine if Kevin Garnett was like, no, you don't have to do those things, Kevin Garnett. You can do that. You can you can you can shoot jumpers and pass. Just you know, right, be a right. be a crazy man on defense, and and that'll work itself out. Instead of you know, well, you can get in the post and you know, bang, and like that wasn't really. He was better. He was better handling the ball and facing the basket, and they were still. But that wasn't quite at the. We weren't quite at the point yet where it was okay for a six eleven and eight quarters guy to <laughs> to uh, to do that. I I I love that these things in the past have now become sort of. Um, just the the norm like the standard in the industry but they were criticized in the past so um you know Dirk Nowitzki is very soft he just shoots jumpers it's like uh what he's a seven footer who shoots jumpers and stretches the defense and can turn and face from the outside and oh hey like he never really got there but when you add a better handle or better vision to that now you can break down the defense from anywhere on the court and Jokic to some degree has this. And so it's just like this generation of players where, to your point, you encourage the fluidity of skill more versus fitting in a box and how that actually unlocks, you know, makes players better versus is seen as something that's because, you know, David Robinson and Garnett were just jump shooters. And it's like, um, they're, they're, they're pretty good. What? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the problem? Would you, would you, would you rather them not? Would like, you rather would you rather them have like like Andre Drummond's offensive profile, <laughs> or would you you know like no I think I, I think I'll take the the, the jump shots there yeah yeah, it's okay. yeah exactly so I wanted to before you got out of here I was gonna was gonna ask you for playoff thoughts going forward but I think the conversation we've landed on may be more fun because with all the changes in offense, um, not just shooting profiles slightly changing over the years, but what we just talked about, roles and um, diversity of systems and players coming in and doing whatever they can at seven feet, offensive efficiency hitting 115. I don't, I don't even know what's normal anymore. Like, can a, team, can a team post a 140 offensive rating in a series and we won't even think it's crazy? Like, where do you think the league is going in the next few years and, and maybe to, to – back to our conversation today like the top players and the top playoff performers uh who, who are they what do they look like like what, five years what do these series look like so i i think that we are probably going to see a little bit of a retrenchment offensively and i don't think that's going to be reflective of any like change in skill or strategy i think there's just going to be some some rebalancing of of kind of the emphasis of the rules um you know whether it's the the like the landing space fouls the the sort of the 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 run into a guy throw my arms up and flail snap my head back foul like the, those kind of the things that that kind of are making it almost like so you don't have a chance defensively that make it just that little bit too easy to create an advantage offensively i think we're get that like some of that is going to scale back a little bit 
And so that, I mean, maybe that means that we get to, you know, instead of something in the one teens, like a 108 offensive rating environment. Um, I think that, you know, frankly, I think that that we're probably going to see return to offensive rebounding a little bit. I think that, that the groundswell has been behind that a little bit. I think as it gets more studied, and this is something that, that you know, you haven't had the pleasure of doing, but have back in back when I had you know access to the full tracking data, it's devilishly hard to study. You know, yes, there are situations you can do that. Find them, and that's like the the number of of things you have to look at and consider, and like come up with heuristics that are you know operate like actionable at game speed is yeah. I mean you so. But that's I think that's something that people have been looking at and and you know the value of the value of extra possessions is going to be like if every possession is worth you know a buck twenty five or whatever then then it, faking up more of them is a good idea <laughs> yeah no no that whether it's uh by the way one oh eight offensive rating is kind of where it felt like I thought there was an equilibrium. For a long time, we had 108 offensive ratings at the end of the 80s, early 90s. We had it back in the late 2000s, um, and we even had it recently before this kind of boom again. So, I would love to see some of those rule changes brought back. I'm just not, even if they fix one or two of them, I'm not convinced at this point the rules are going to bring us back because uh, I do have this sense that the league for lack of a better word, likes the new direction, right? They like the additional boom. Um, think about all the all the counting stats that every night you can put out on your social media feed or at the beginning of a playoff game and say, this guy's the first guy since Wilt Chamberlain to do this. This guy's the first guy since Elgin Baylor to do this. And it's like, yeah, he's the first guy since those two guys because – 50 years ago everyone was scoring 40 and grabbing 20 rebounds yeah we're back there and and going forward even maybe i mean at the same time though so like some of the things that we're talking about are like lead to free throws and the league doesn't love free throws from a from an entertainment perspective so i think that yeah like some of those like you get that you you get some of those totals you get you get that with pace too and i think they like the pace of play and i don't think free throw like you know they doing away with with you know, a couple, a couple, couple few trips to the free throw line a game is probably something the league would be fine with just from a, you know, time of play, pace of play, dynamics of play standard. And it would probably also just that, that little bit more touching would, you know, might not be something you could see on a play to play basis, but, you know, going from like 111 to 108, like that's, you know, that's, that's a bucket and a half over, you know, hundred over a hundred possessions. It's not, you know, pick, pick that up from, from an eyeball standard. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that's very easy to do. And it, it was nice. Um, there, it feels like there have been some playoff games where they let them play through a little bit more contact. Although I don't know how consistent that is from end to end when referees change position. Uh, but, but I certainly, I'm I'm era agnostic. I go with a lot of different eras, but I do like a, a touch more contact. I think it plays really well when the intensity ramps up, like we're seeing right now. Uh, before you get out of here, the book, uh, the mid-range theory. Everyone wants to know when when's it coming out. Um, where can we find it? Things like that. Uh, so it is 
scheduled to come out early November. I don't have an exact date yet. Um, and even if I did, it would still be subject to change. Um, it is available, uh, the finest booksellers everywhere online. Um, I believe if, if you are into buying indie, uh, there's a website called bookseller.com, I believe, that will allow you to pre-order through your your favorite local establishment. Um, or if you want to go a, a bigger place and help me on some rankings, I wouldn't mind that either. So, um, but yeah, um, what can I tell you about it? Um, it was, I you know, I, we've joked offline about this for since I started writing it, but um, I, I was a little mad at you because when <laughs> when I when I was coming up with the concept of what to write about, it's like you know, it's a book about thinking about basketball. So I want to call it thinking, but ba- I can't call it, thinking, call it about thinking about basketball, thinking about that's basketball. What, yeah. Yes, right. yeah. 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 So I, I couldn't do that. So it's, um, it's a semi anthological approach to, um, sort of the development of a lot of things we're talking about. You know, we've, t- you talked a little bit about how I think tongue in cheek, how the shot patterns have slightly changed. Um, for a while it was actually a pretty slow change, but, but uh, talking about some of the, kind of contextual factors that led to that. And it's not just, oh, these analytics are blah, blah, blah. It's like we're we're sort of we're 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 sort of lucky that that it happened the way it did, because if it had happened in another order, it might have killed basketball. But so I but talking about things like that, talking about the difference between, you know, playoff and regular season play, if there's some way we can figure out statistically or otherwise the kind of players who might or might not make that leap. Um Talking talking about the the stuff about the draft, talking about a lot of things that you know we talk about all the time in terms of putting stats and credit assignment in proper context. Um, so uh, ho- hopefully, it, when people read it, they'll find it to be a basketball book that is infused with sort of statistical concepts rather than a statistical book about basketball. I, I'm looking forward to it, uh, and and. I hope you'll come back in November or whenever it comes out, but tentatively in November and, um, and discuss it a little bit more. Seth, thanks as always. Super fun. Well, thanks for having me. Seth also has these great live playoff, uh, it's like a playoff running diary. So it's not a full article, but he's, uh, sharing thoughts throughout the playoffs, micro sort of thoughts that are really great. You can check those out on his Twitter at Seth part now or on the athletic huge. Thanks once again, for coming on. If you want to support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That is the best way to directly support all things thinking basketball. You get additional content. And this weekend, yes, this Saturday, we are doing our monthly live Q&A, which is a lot of fun where we discuss all things from historical to the current playoffs uh, in a live Q&A session. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Check it out for more. Hope you enjoyed this one. As always, thanks for listening all the way until the end. And wherever you are, I hope you are having a great